1: and coach, we're ready to play. My name's John A. Tate and this is the sporting record on 3CR, 855 3CR. James is here with me. Howdy. And a bit of a blokey show today, just James and me. Um, But before we start, we should uh, acknowledge uh, the traditional custodians of the land on which we're broadcasting from and to. Uh, the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay respects to the Elders past and present, and we're constantly in awe of the sporting thrills and spills that our Indigenous athletes give us. So
2: there we are. Uh, Grand Prix starts today. The cars are coming, John. The cars are coming to the shores of Albert Park
1: what a great facility we've got down there. (laughs) I know people uh, have been protesting about it for years and years and years and years. But Mm. it's a park. uh, It's a golf course. We've got our uh, sports and aquatic center there. We've got a lot of swans there. And for a week or two, it gets taken over by a race of motor cars. Big, loud cars. Big, big cars that are very loud now it's a pretty blokey thing, the whole Grand Prix, you know, male drivers, you look in the pits and the, the pit crews are mostly um, you know, blokes in uh in uh in, in, in all the gear. Yeah, big but engineers. I wanted to just feminise things a bit by mentioning three uh women who have some sort of association to the Melbourne Grand Prix. Right. And sort of interesting ones. Mm, I'm gonna go. give you three names, James. Three names. See what you can tell me about them, and I'll fill in the gaps. First name is
2: Kate Reed. Kate Reed. Uh, I've got nothing. I've gone blank.
1: Well, she's a Melbourne girl. Uh, her father took her to the Melbourne Grand Prix when she was 13, and she got so excited about it, she wanted to get involved. So she studied uh, aerodynamic engineering ah. and uh, ended up in London. She graduated, ended up in London, and... Uh, Ended up working with the uh, Williams team. One of the great teams of the F1 history. Designing cars.
2: Oh. She's
1: a a Melbourne girl. Uh, It wasn't all it was cracked up to be because she wasn't really there in the pits doing stuff with
2: all the exciting stuff. Most of her time was spent behind a computer. Yeah, they've got... Teams of hundreds, if not thousands, of people all behind the scenes, don't they? Each team.
1: So her dream job didn't work out all that well. Mm. We've all experienced that, Jim, haven't we? Yeah. And um, so, and she had a difficult time for a while with uh, mental illness and uh, and eating disorders. Mm. So her dad brought her home. This is she's an adult by now. So her dad brought her home to Melbourne, and she had a total change in career and uh, got into bakering patisserie, and in particular, croissants.
2: Croissants.
1: And uh, she's famous now for her Loon croissanterie in Melbourne and various places around Australia. The fabled croissants of the Fitzroy alleyways. But what I find interesting about her story is Mm. she applied her engineering background to designing the perfect croissant. Right. Because she'd experienced how the French make them, Mm. And she wanted to figure out how she could do it.
2: How the bloody hell do you make a croissant?
1: Reverse engineering. Oh. So she took the end result and went through it in reverse. took her months and months and months to actually figure out her system of making the perfect
2: croissant. And it obviously paid off because Loon is world-renowned. All that study croissant- she croissant-y.
1: did in engineering. Unbelievable. Off. Anyway, she, I was reminded of her because she was there yesterday at the Grand Prix uh, in 2022. She was ambassador for the Grand Prix.
2: Ah, fantastic.
1: Uh, but she was there again this year, giving our croissants to the drivers. <laughs>
2: name number two, Tiffany Cromwell. Tiffany Cromwell, I know this name. Uh, Australian Olympic cyclist, is that correct? Yes. And also in a relationship with an F1 driver, Valtteri Bottas. From so Finland.
1: Her, name, her name's been mentioned a lot in the press, but... Simply as the wife of Valtteri Bottas. Yes. Whereas there's a lot more to Tiffany than just being... i have not the wife, the girlfriend. Been A lot more to her than just being the girlfriend of a, of a F1 driver.
2: Mm, she did feature in uh, Netflix's Drive to Survive show about F1 as well a little bit. You know, just behind the scenes of her and Valt- Valtteri's life.
1: Yeah. They met in Monaco, where they Ooh. both live.
2: They both live in Monaco, do
1: they? With, uh, yeah, mutual friends got together, oh. that whole uh, story. What a lifestyle. She was born in South Australia. Uh, she's five foot five and 50 kilograms.
2: That's a cyclist build.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because originally she was into ballet, triathlon, basketball. Mm. But clearly basketball probably wasn't going to be the sport for her. Uh, but cycling and triathlons turned out to be. Fantastic. So she competes now professionally. Well, she's, she's been in the Commonwealth Games for Australia twice, oh. and uh, Tokyo Olympics in the road racing team, mm. which did pretty well. Um, and professionally, she rides for Canyon SRAM, Saram. Canyon, Canyon make bikes, and SRAM make bicycle components.
2: Well, that's refreshing that it's not a petrochemical company, isn't it? <laughs> that's what all the cyclist sponsors seem
1: to well, be. Well, that's right. So that's Tiffany Cromwell, whose name has been mentioned a lot.
2: Good on you, Tiffany. Well done.
1: By the press. And the third name is Angela Cullen.
2: Now, I know this one because Angela Cullen's close to your heart, John.
1: I've always been fascinated by this platinum blonde girl who was always by uh, Lewis Hamilton's side.
2: So who is Angela Cullen?
1: Well, she's from New Zealand uh, and she worked for Mercedes from 2015 to 2023 as Lewis Hamilton's physiotherapist, but a lot more. She was his assistant assistant. She did everything for him, so
2: that all he needed to concentrate on was the race. Almost like a, an executive manager position of Lewis Hamilton, you know, just doing everything for him so he could just totally focus on the race. Is that right?
1: Yeah, and I think she was his personal trainer uh, and um, and um, physio, as I said, M-
2: mental mental coach, sports coach. Yeah, person. probably sports
1: psychology and everything. Yeah. So, wow. but. And it was a secret desire of mine to interview her at this year's Grand Prix.
2: I remember telling you on a fat chance,
1: John. Yeah, man. I know. But you've got to dream. You've got you to you dream, dream big. You've got to dream. But anyway, my chances are gone because as of last week, she's left the team. Wow.
2: <laughs> and that's after a long time. I know.
1: I think it's an amicable little split. I think she's decided she wants to go on to other adventures. And uh, I'll be interested to see who's by Lewis's side this weekend.
2: Yes. Is he going solo? Does he have someone to replace her? Well, what's the, I don't you know. don't know. That's something to watch out for this he weekend. He might be
1: hopeless without her. Hmm. But we'll soon see. Anyway, I should from New Zealand. I should mention, she's a sports person in her own right, But bit like Tiffany Cromwell. Uh She played hockey for New Zealand in wow. international uh events. And uh, these days, I think she does a lot of triathlon stuff. Wow. God,
2: those triathletes are impressive, aren't they? Yeah.
1: So, there you go. So, you won't hear much about these three women that this week as Grand Prix, but I thought it was worth de it a bit.
2: Well, there's a lot of investment in F1 going towards de bloking it um, with some success, but, you know, there are some drivers coming up who are pretty impressive. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, cars. I don't know. I was a big F1 fan. Last year, uh, two years ago, I will say, when they had that fantastic season where Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen mm. were neck and neck. Mm. That was unbelievable TV. But since then, I've gone off it because, jeez, all the races are very similar.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's getting a bit boring. There's
2: cars it? going around in circles yeah, at high speeds, but you, you, you can't even tell the high speeds on TV, you know.
1: That's right. Anyway, so that's this weekend. There's going to be a lot on the meter about it, so... Uh, We won't spend too much time, but I thought that's something where we we can start.
2: Yes, it's a good place to start, Johnny. Well done.
1: Uh, Last weekend, Mm -hmm. I went to the Smithies VFL game. Uh, Uh, The who's VFL? Well, it's uh, Smithies. The VFL competition is now called the Smithies VFL. So the Men's Victorian Football League. Yes, I went up to Tullamarine to watch uh, Essendon play, uh, I think it was uh, GWS. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That was good. But um, do you know what product Smithy's is? I'm always curious about these sponsorships. Oh, I don't know. Is it workwear? No, it's highly appropriate. It's, uh, it's a beer that's brewed in Victoria, oh. and it's named after uh, – it's very Australian. It's named after Thomas Henry Smith, who, along with a group of others, drafted the original
2: rules to Aussie Rules Footy. Huh. So – he didn't have anything to do with beer no but he was a pioneer of the rules yeah of Australian football yeah huh. so how was he's that and they named a beer after him yes smithy's beer yes
1: and for footy what's what do you what does everyone do when they go to the footy they like to have a beer and a pie sink some piss that's what they do wow. so you can have a smithy's now mentioning a pie um do you know how much pie costs at the
2: footy these days? Oh, I was thinking... You you, you, you posed this question to me to think about, yeah, and I think the last time I bought a pie at the footy, I reckon I handed over a fiver. And, and did you I, get change? Ah... Uh, uh, I, I'm going to call it a flat $5 for a pie of the footy.
1: Well, I believe it was used to be 4 four fifty, but All it's right. actually gone up to $5.50 this season.
2: Oh, that's that's an awkward amount.
1: You won't get change out of your $5 note. Oh, God, you've got to
2: have a 50-cent coin. But everyone
1: flashes their card anyway, don't No, oh, it's
2: cashless. Yeah.
1: And that tempted me to go into my record library because oh. I know <laughs> that... Uh, Somewhere in there, and I found it, I have a vintage uh, 45 record, 7-inch, with some uh, old 4-and-20 pie ads on them. And the first one on there, it only goes about 20 seconds or something, is, uh, is, is sort of related to the footy.
2: Right. Do
1: you think we're ready to go with it? Let's give it a it's crack. It's pretty crackly.
2: Oh, that's a good crackle. Four
1: and twenty, the great Australian pie. Now, my mate Nick's Italian and an Aussie through and through. He runs a fish and chip shop 50 miles from Bungadoo. Whiting
2: mussels, cooter, big fat oysters in the shell. You name it, if it's fishy, then that's what Nick'll sell. But take Nick to the footy and the first thing that he'll buy
1: is a hot and golden four and twenty, the great Australian pie. Have one today. Four and twenty, the... Right, we're back. We just got to uh, figure out which button to push and which dial to turn. And uh, but there you go. That was a four and twenty pi ad from way way back. See, so it was in the days when uh, uh, the the companies would send their ads to the radio station on a piece of vinyl.
2: So they sent them in on actual vinyl. Yeah,
1: yeah. So that's one of them. And uh, the DJs would uh, would would play them. They didn't have computers; just to push a button. Um, like we do today, but uh, yeah, so they send out the uh, the 75s.
2: So that record would have been called a cart,
1: well, I suppose. So, uh, well, no, it was a record, so carts were, were, were little tape machine yes, things, yeah. The radio, but uh, a, lot, a lot of the PS uh, uh, promos and uh, community service announcements were all on carts. But some of the ads got sent out on on records
2: like that. Fantastic. Well, we'll jump to a break now, and on the way back. We'll probably talk more about pies.
0: This Friday is Trans Day of Visibility. After recent transphobic events in our city, we say enough is enough. Come to Transgender Day of Visibility Rally, now Melbourne and reclaim our streets. State Library, 5.30pm this Friday
1: for the march through the city and show of strength and resilience.
0: Let's make this biggest rally for trans rights and the country has ever seen. State Library, 5.30 p.m. this Friday for Trans Day of Visibility.
1: For more information, contact the Victorian Pride Lobby via Facebook or email info at au. See, See you there. Then. Solidarity Salon, home of Radical Women and Freedom Socialist Party, has moved to Reservoir. We are a socialist, feminist bookshop and organising centre eager to collaborate with a diversity of optimistic rebels. All gender identities welcome.
0: We're at 113 Spring Street Reservoir, near Regent Station.
1: Drop in or get contact details at socialism.com.
0: Solidarity Salon is a proud 3CR supporter.
1: going to talk soccer for a minute because I was a bit annoyed that uh, FIFA are proposing a rule change in the international game of soccer. You're a bit miffed about it. I was because it affects Australia a lot. Our, our, one of our World Cup heroes recently was the goalkeeper, uh, uh, Redmayne, what's his first name? Anyway, anyway, Redmayne, who uh, came on, he was actually our number two goalkeeper, but they brought him on for a penalty shootout uh, in that playoff game against Ecuador. Was it?
2: Yeah, the Red Wiggle,
1: the Red, or the Grey Wiggle? They were calling the him because wiggle. he was dressed in in a grey outfit, and his routine is uh, quite outrageous on the goal line, uh, intending, of course, to just distract the the penalty taker. Yes. Who probably has the advantage. And it sort of brings up the whole psychology of sport thing. Right. Now, in my sport, I was nowhere near as good as the people I was thrown up against. Yes. So one of the tools I used to try to bridge the gap a bit was psychology.
2: Right. You, 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 you played psychological warfare.
1: Yes. Warf- now, some people say that's cheating, but it's just another tool in your toolbox.
2: Some people would say you're an arsehole for doing that.
1: Well, if you're a really good player, you don't need to do that sort of stuff. But no. sometimes you resort to other tactics. Mm. Some are uh, questionable, but others are fine. Anyway, so you could say the same thing about Red Redmayne, and he's jumping around uh, and doing crazy, silly things to distract the kicker. Mm. Anyway, in that particular game, it seemed to work pretty well, because I think three of the Ecuadorians missed their shot.
2: Yes, And, and it that, got us into the World Cup. It got us into the World Cup where Tony Armstrong was uh, doing the live cross and he lost his scarf. <laughs> Someone racked <laughs> yes, it. Yes, well, that's
1: right. It was a yeah, big moment for Tony Big Armstrong. moment for
2: Tony and Australia.
1: Anyway, so FIFA have decided, oh, no, we can't have this. So they're, they're, they're changing the rule or proposing a change that the goalkeeper has to stand very still on the goal line and not move until the kicker takes his kick.
2: They're policing keeper behaviour.
1: Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah,
2: how do you feel about that?
1: Well, I'm disappointed because the guy start, you've stood in, in, in inside the soccer goals. Yes, it's a huge area to have to have to patrol, and when the guy's standing, I don't know, eight meters away or something, uh, and he's going to kick the cover off the ball, you've got very little chance of stopping it.
2: Well, it's, it's just a it's just a fluke if you do save it, isn't that right? You know, yeah. you happen to jump the right way get your hands to the ball or something like that. And it
1: reminded me... Now, we've never played soccer, either of us. No. But it reminded me of a conversation I had in Studio 2 here with a former socceroo, uh, Jason Polak. He was a friend of ours, socially, and uh, I've often tried to get him to talk about his soccer career, but he's a fairly humble guy, and he uh, says, oh, look, it was a long time ago, and it's a bit hard to get him talking. But I got him in here to Studio 2 just, just after the World Cup, and... Uh, and uh, did an interview with him, which I haven't used yet. So this is my excuse to go. And one of the topics we talked about was penalty taking. Mm. Because I remarked that at the World Cup, there were some terrible penalty shots taken. So I just quizzed him on that. So um, rather than you and I just uh, talk rubbish, we should ask somebody who actually knows what they're talking about, about penalty taking. Right.
2: So this is Jason Polak. Former Australian soccer team, Plough. Yes. Here we go.
1: Now, you know what amazed me was <laughs> some of the penalty shootouts, some of the shots were shit ass. <laughs> <laughs> is there a trick to it? Cuz you know, world class players and they just seem terrible some of them.
0: No, I think it's just luck. You know like and don't forget the keepers are getting bigger and they're getting better and yeah. you know like and it's a very wide goal. I mean you stand in the in the goals. Yeah. This is a very large area to cover. <laughs> it is a large area, but the keepers are getting bigger and getting better at covering yeah. it as well. So it's it's you know if a keeper ultimately if a keeper picks the right way, he's got a chance, you know, of saving it. So and then you're in that crucial moment where the goals all of a sudden are starting to appear a lot smaller than they actually are, and the keeper's looking bigger than yeah. he actually is. You know, it's that whole psychology too. Yeah. So there were, yeah, there were a couple of bad ones, but I didn't. I think I've seen worse. You know, like you know. So, uh,
1: is there a trick to it? Is there a trick to taking a penalty um, as the kicker?
0: I think practice. I think you've got to be confident. I think you've got to be confident. The more you take it, it's like anything. It's like taking free kicks. The more you practice that the more confident you're going to be you're going to hit the at least the area that you want to hit of the goal you know what i mean so you hit the corner or you hit so but someone like messi he just seemed to watch the keeper maybe has super reactions yeah he he doesn't really kick it hard yeah there's all these different techniques and and, i noticed that as well and i didn't think you were back in the day i think referees used to pull you up if you stuttered and jerked a bit because it was like a balk you know what i mean but they seem to be getting away with that where they they Change their run up and try and get the keeper to commit before they actually take the kick, and then they just roll it, which I guess can backfire if the keeper just stands there and doesn't. Well, if someone like Mbappe or
1: Harry Kane, they just yeah. kick the cover off it.
0: Yeah, know? well, that's not a bad tactic, you know. If you can hit it hard, then you know it's like anything. That even if he gets a hand to it, it might still go in. Yeah, because, yeah. yeah. which was doing.
1: So that was our football, soccer, football consultant, Jason Polak. Good to hear from you, Jason. (laughs) And I apologise for it taking so long to put some of it to air, (laughs) but uh, I... Got some news about sporting record. Oh, go and, on. And podcasts. Oh, go on. So I have uh, been taught how, and we've been given permission to put our shows and special interviews like that up as a podcast now. Well, we're into the podcast world because we're experienced broadcasters now, Jim. Yes,
2: we are. Yes, we are. Apparently so.
1: So uh, today I've put that full interview with Jason Polak talking about the World Cup, talking about his career. And talking about uh awesome, silly things about the rules, which that is part of, um and I'll put that up as a podcast uh just today, so it can be found on our website and at some period when all the things fall into place, uh iTunes and Spotify
2: Yes, so watch this space It's very exciting, John. It sounds like you've done a good job. there you
1: are. it's It's important to learn new new things, new skills. Mm. So each one of our shows should go up as a podcast as well as... So normally you can listen to our show for a whole week uh, through the website, but now they'll be there for, I don't know, ever, for eternity.
2: So watch what you say because we'll be, uh, we might get the Joe Rogan treatment if we're not careful in this podcast world, you know. We've got to present our facts very carefully, don't we?
1: Yeah, Well, we research thoroughly and oh, we try yes, to we avoid do. saying controversial things Well, we've got a legal consultant sitting next to us normally yes know? yes M will keep us in
2: in line in check thank goodness we have M. we'd be a rabble without him but That's we're right. doing pretty well today so what have we got now we got football there's football oh the well
1: just a quick one the the big issue in the vfl this week was the dump tackle in wasn't the afl you know we've done the head high things but the other way of getting knocked out is with this tackle where someone grabs you Grabs you by the arms, usually, or, or pins your arms.
2: Pins your arms, grabs your torso, lifts you up, and then slings you to the ground.
1: Now, I've always wondered why that last bit's necessary. You've got the guy pinned, he's not going anywhere, he's not disposing the ball. Why do you have to also throw him to the ground, waffly?
2: Well, generally, these players are so powerful mm. that you've got to bring them to ground, or else there's the there's always the risk that they can wriggle free get their arms free, get rid of the ball. So the general idea, and I was taught this in football, is drop your weight, bring them to the ground, and that way they're actually tackled and they stay tackled.
1: Yeah. Uh, There's a design flaw in the human body in that our brain is inside our skull, which is at the end of a a very uh, flexible neck.
2: Yes, we have a very flexible neck, don't we?
1: And if it gets flung to the ground the skull and the neck can be out of control because you you can't really control uh, that momentum and suddenly your head's hit the ground and you're unconscious.
2: If we were to redesign the human body (laughs) for the benefit of sport and sport only, where do you reckon the brain would be best? In the stomach?
1: Well, in a safer place where it has more protection.
2: Probably the stomach.
1: Or somewhere near the heart perhaps, Yeah, somewhere within the torso.
2: And then if you get a, a beer belly, that's extra padding around the brain, yeah. which is good for concussion. Yeah, you wouldn't need a helmet because you got all of that padding. Well, there you go. I think we've gotten somewhere here. Tell Gil McLaughlin this, Dad. Get yep. on, get on to the AFL, well, big,
1: big dog. I've got something else to tell Gil McLaughlin
2: because oh, go
1: I've got an outrageous idea about a slight rule variation. Outrageous regarding the, regarding the tackle.
2: You say outrageous. <laughs> well, you might think it's alright. You've
1: told you this before, and you, oh, you no. didn't like it. Oh. So. Um, you're not allowed to tackle someone by the legs. No, that's a, a trip. trip. Yeah, it's a trip. You're not allowed to tackle someone by the head or neck because that's around the neck or a dangerous tackle and, and that whole head high thing. Yes. But you are allowed to grab someone by the arms.
2: Yeah, the chicken wing.
1: Which could lead to a chicken wing tackle, which is bad. You can't do that in rugby. And officially you can't do it in Aussie rules. But um, And it leads to this other problem of when you pin the arms and you throw the guy to the ground, he cannot put his arms out to brace himself so brace in the fall.
2: Brace their fall, yeah. So
1: my idea is, right, the only place you can tackle is the torso. You can't grab a leg, you can't grab an arm, you can't grab a head. A tackle is torso only.
2: Well, that's generally how it works, isn't it? No, it isn't.
1: You can grab the guy's arm. You see the players are coached to do it now. They often grab him by the wrist so they can't handball it. And all they can do is drop it or hang on to it. for a kick. Mm. Seems that the tackler has all the advantages.
2: Yeah, there's merit to it. There's merit. Geez, <laughs> another rule change That's to right. ensure the safety of the players. Yeah.
1: Now, last year you had last week you had an outrageous idea, which was about the jazz round. Yes, yes. And we played a uh, a Swans version of the anthem. And it was a jazz version of the Swan's Anthem.
2: So for the listeners at home, the AFR has a number of special rounds that we celebrate different things. So we've got the new Gather Round, which is where all the games are played in Adelaide this year. And it's a pun, Gather Round, Gather Round, you know, so that's quite good. We've got Pride Round, we've got the round honouring Indigenous players, the Nichols Round I think it is. We've got a number of different rounds, but I think it's time for a jazz round. Because all these great Fable theme songs, they're jazz songs, and there are, there are existing renditions of these songs in pretty hardcore jazz format.
1: Now, these, these versions were recorded by an amazing guy called Robert K. Crawford, and I've been trying to collect all of his stuff. It's on a label called Talent City. Back in the early 60s, this was done, and it was his idea to put the footy theme songs... Uh, on record and sell them.
2: So when, when this was going on, jazz was the big was the big music category, wasn't it? Oh,
1: well, it was probably slightly predated the Beatles, but, you know, jazz was jazz. I don't know.
2: Could you imagine if they put the theme songs over rock and roll? Wouldn't that be different? <laughs> well, it can be done. No, no, no. Stick to jazz.
1: So today I brought in the Collingwood theme song by Robert K. Crawford and, uh, and the, the singers and the band. Um, and uh, I, I thought, got to be fair... You know, Collingwood get a bit of flack, but uh, this is for all the Collingwood supporters out there.
2: Yes, so you've been listening to the Sporting Record. We'll play this song to take you out. As John said, you can uh, find us on the website and find past episodes via podcast on www.3cr.org.au. Consider putting us on your dial, and feel free to subscribe to the radio, uh, the station, us, and the entire thing, the whole gamut. It's a very good operation here. So have a good week, everybody, and we'll catch you next week.